Hi, I'm Kyle Caldwell. And I'm Becky O'Connor, and this is On The Money, a weekly look at how to get the best out of your savings and investments. In this episode, with time to take a breath, a week on from the Chancellor's autumn statement, we're looking at what Jeremy Hunt's plans might mean for your savings and investments, now and in the years to come. What did you make of it all in general, Becky? He certainly did some things. It wasn't an empty budget by any stretch. And, you know, in some ways, the the measures that he's taken, such as um, reducing the capital gains tax allowance and the dividend allowance, they do kind of, they're not wealth taxes, but the effect is that um, people with larger amounts of savings and investments who typically pay um, capital gains and dividend taxes or business owners or people with second homes, for instance, they will they will feel the pinch. And we can see that there's this focus on um, wealthier people and higher income people with the changing in the threshold for the highest level of tax of 45%, which is now going to be lowered from 150,000 to 125,000, just slightly over that from next April. So, you know, th- there is a clear... Um, targeting, if you like, of um, wealthier people and higher income people. The freezing of um, the tax allowances is very interesting, though, because that is where you will see everybody brought into paying more tax as their wages rise. And of course, in an inflationary environment, we know that wages haven't necessarily kept up with inflation, but they have been rising. So it's that awful paradox that people will be in where they actually they're earning more, but they're feeling poorer, because they're paying more tax. And that fiscal drag over frozen thresholds is incredibly effective for the government. And I it's clever of them and I I wouldn't say devious because you know we can see what the effect will be but it's clever in the sense that it's not as a sledgehammer approach of raising taxes very bluntly um, and risking the the vote losses that come with that it's a rather more subtle approach of um, raising revenue basically. I've never um, having listened to an autumn statement or a budget I've never felt so gloomy as soon as it finished, there was, I just felt like there was, there was hardly any winners or um, positive news, really. And yeah, I, I wanted to go away and cheer myself up and do something positive, but, um, but I didn't because um, I had to then report on it. Uh, yeah, I think we're going we're gonna to touch on it in further. You know, I do think the, um, the changes to the capital gains tax allowance and the dividend tax uh, allowance is an attack on private investors. Mm-hmm. And um, yeah, let's, let's go into that in a bit more detail shortly. And in terms of the stock market, it didn't really react at all, you know, which which was good news. You know, the bond market was totally bond market was very calm. Uh, XT market didn't really do didn't really move at all. In response, it was obviously a complete contrast to the um, the mini budget just a couple of months ago earlier. And you know, from a, from a market's perspective, you know, Jeremy Hunt, he's you know he's, he's he's a chancellor who's attempting to reassure the markets that he can steady the ship. And you know, and that's that was reflective by the fact that you know the stock market has was calm in response to the um, to the statement. So we should also almost be grateful for the fact that markets were very neutral about it, given what we know can happen when they aren't neutral about it, um, as recent experience has demonstrated. So that in itself, you know, that market stability is something to be grateful for, um, even though taxes are effectively rising across the board. Another winner was um, those on the on the state pension. Um, there, was, there was speculation in the run-up to the autumn statement, but um, you know, it was announced that you know, the triple lock it will continue. Um, what were your thoughts on that, Becky? It's great news for um, pensioners. But I, I mean, I'd hesitate to say that they're overjoyed with it because they did have a, a below inflation state pension rise 
this year. So, and that was because um, there was a one-year moratorium on the triple lock um, instigated by Rishi Sunak because wage rises had been so high coming out of the pandemic. And he felt that that was um, an unreasonable rise at the time, given how dreadful everything else was. So they are behind, if you like. So there'll, there'll be many who feel that, you know, yes, this is good news, of course, um, but it's kind of putting them back to where they should have been a year ago. We all win from state pension triple lock being in place for longer because, you know, we'll all be state pensioners one day. And the longer that's in place for, the better for future generations of pensioners. And of course, it's not a forever commitment and it never will be. So we'll have this conversation again in a year, two years time. You know, we know that it it is put on the table um, at times. And um, really, the the reason is not... um, well, maybe it's benevolence, but really it's the core Tory voters who, um, you know, tend to be older and largely, you know, in receipt of the state pension too. So uh, there's a strong political motivation for them to keep it, which um, will be the case, I guess, as long as the you know Conservative Party is in power. Let's now move on to the fiscal drag, which has been brought about by um, the various freezes and, you know, across various allowances. So this is a concept where rising wages which, you know, they're going up due to inflation. Well, that's one of the factors. This pushes taxpayers into higher tax brackets due to the fact that those tax brackets remain static. And prior to the autumn statement, there was various tax thresholds that were going to be frozen until 2026, but they have now been extended to 2028. So they include the income tax personal allowance. So that's going to be frozen at 12570 until 2028, April 2028 that is, and the higher rate tax threshold, that's going to remain at just over 50,000, it's 50,271. And then there's also um, the pension lifetime allowance, which is um, just over a million, that's that's also frozen, and also the inheritance tax nil rate band, which is 325,000 per person, that again has been frozen until April 2028. And that allowance has been the same since 2009, which is pretty incredible, really, that it's remained at those low levels and it's not uh, taken into account inflation at all. I read in The, in the Guardian, they um, they got some um, statistics from the Office for Budget of Responsibility. So from all of these uh, various um freezes in threshold, they estimate that there'll be 3.2 million newer taxpayers and 2.6 million higher rate taxpayers created by the freezes in those um, income tax allowances. Of course, even more if you include the freeze of the inheritance tax um, nil rate band, which I I think is particularly interesting um, because, you know, since it um, was last reviewed, we've seen tremendous house price growth. And although the housing market does seem to be cooling off slightly at the moment, there's still, you know, there's still upward pressure on house prices, which means that could be a real money spinner for the government over the years. You know, in some ways, the freezing of the income tax thresholds is a way for the government to generate revenue from inflation and inflationary pressures um, that also have a knock on effect on wages and wage demands. And, you know, it's, I suppose it, it makes perfect sense for the government to try and do that. But it is something for people to be aware of, perhaps when they're negotiating pay, um, where they sit in, on, the, on their new pay um, in relation to these thresholds, um, because it might change quite quickly. 
I thought it was a bit of a surprise, particularly the uh, the change to the capital gains tax uh, threshold. So um, the capital gains tax threshold is going to be cut from 12,300 to 6,000 next April. And then it's going to be cut again to 3,000 in April 2024. So these changes, um, you know, they'll impact investors that don't you know, have investments outside of tax efficient ICEs and SIPs, that's mm-hmm. self-invested personal pensions. But they'll also negatively impact buy-to-let landlords mm. as well. Now, the, the rate that, um, that investors pay the tax, 20% um, if you're a high-rate taxpayer or 10% if you're a, in the basic income tax band, they remain in the same. And for, for quite a while, I've, I've seen various um, think tanks or commentators suggest that they may be changed in the future to pot- potentially align with what people pay in income tax. So going up to either 20 or 40 percent for higher, but that didn't happen. What actually happened instead is that they have reduced the allowance, um, as mm. I said, from 12,300 to 6,000. Yeah. What, what, what were your thoughts on that, Becky? I, I thought it was, it was a surprise move, mainly that was quite because dramatic. yeah, mainly because you know there was no real reports or rumors or that that was going to happen. It's it's the closest thing I think we'll see to an actual obvious wealth tax. Um, of any kind and it's because there you know there are people for whom that's incredibly relevant and they do try very hard to stay within their um, allowances it could be a deal breaker for some landlords actually so it'll be interesting to see how they react over the coming months and it does go to demonstrate the importance of using all of your tax-free allowances um, on things like ICEs and pensions, which we don't tend to think of in the context of investments, but actually it's, you know, the annual allowance on pensions is £40,000. And yes, the lifetime allowance for pensions has remained frozen. Actually, that's been less bothersome for people um, this year as the stock market has dented value of people's pension pots. And so, you know, lots of people were being dragged over that threshold. I think, you know, until we see stock market uh, growth returning um, significantly, then that that number will be fairly muted and it will be less problematic. But um, it's worth thinking about the annual allowance for pensions too, if you are worried about the capital gains tax issue um, in particular. And of course, the ISA twenty thousand pounds is it? You know th- that's never really been considered under threat. And I know we have talked before about whether or not that could be in the firing line in future, particularly given what's just happened with the capital gains tax allowance. You think, okay, well, if that's been slashed, then does that suggest that the ISA allowance will be too? And I think probably not, because actually, you know, not that many people really hit the maximum twenty thousand pounds a year. So if they cut it. It might not generate a huge amount of revenue from doing so because it's not that common for people to to put anything like that amount, frankly, in their annual ISA. Although, you know, maybe I'm being a bit too cynical here, but obviously if they if they did cut the ISA allowance from 20 to, say, 15, then it will increase their tax take. You know, they've, they've now looked at capital yeah. gains tax allowance. They've also um, going to talk about the dividend tax allowance. That's been meddled mm-hmm. with... Um, quite frequently really over the past couple of years that again has um changed so the dividend tax threshold it was announced in the autumn statements it's going to be reduced from 2000 to 1000 next april and then it'll be cut again to 500 from uh, april 2024 and um, the amount of um tax that people pay is is going to remain the same it's 8.75% for basic rate taxpayers 
33.75% for higher rate taxpayers and 39.35% for additional rate taxpayers who um, who go over that dividend tax allowance. Yeah, I mean, that that is, um, is going to really bother business owners who pay themselves in dividends. They, you know, they've already seen um, quite significant cuts, as you say, over recent years. And this brings it down to virtually nothing. Um, so that that will affect them and it will make their tax planning much harder. Um, and I'm sure there'll be many conversations with accountants over the coming weeks about what to do before next April. You know, how, how to plan in future, what to do with company profits um, and revenue. And as you as you mentioned, Becky, it's the same principle with the dividend tax um, as with capital gains tax. The you know, in order to uh, mitigate the tax shelters like ICES and SIPs, they are investors' best line of defence. Mm-hmm. I might be sceptical that, uh, that the ICES allowance of twenty thousand may one day be targeted, but I really hope it isn't. And that's exa- and the same case for the pensions annual allowance as well. Because um, they're they're fantastic um, savings mechanisms for people to yeah. use and invest in tax efficiently. Yeah, they're really important as well. And I think you know if we're thinking about inheritance, um, and obviously there's the nil rate band freeze, but also if somebody comes into inheritance and it doesn't immediately go into property, then they're going to want to use their ISA allowance and also their pension allowance presumably and also there's this thing with um, the pension annual allowance called carry forward where you can use any unused allowance up from up to the previous three years which is amazing you know for people who do find themselves with a lump sum and they're not sure what to do with it so in a way it's kind of like another way of taxing inheritance or people who receive lump sums it's um by just limiting the amount they can set aside for the future and I was thinking before we came on, Becky, obviously with that cut in the capital gains tax allowance, so going from 12300 to 6000 from the start of next April, surely now's a, now's a really good time to consider the bed and ISA for, you know, for investors to have sub- substantial holdings outside of ISAs. Because obviously the transfer, as it involves selling and buying back shares, it could trigger a capital gains tax bill. So surely it's now more prudent when the allowance is higher at twelve thousand three hundred to look to do it rather than put it off, and then your allowance going forward from next April, it's then six thousand, and then it'll be three thousand from April twenty twenty four. Yeah, I'm sure there will be lots more people using the ability um, to perform this bed and ISA trick, um, and it's where there is some information about it on the Interactive Investor website, which you know we always point to when we have these discussions, but it's worth reading the bed and ISA thing because there's a process involved, and you also need to start it, out, you know, it's always good to start your um, end of tax year planning well before the end of the tax year, but perhaps this year more than most because um, so much is changing from April. Could it have been worse, Becky? You know, there wasn't that many rumours this time about, um, well, what about, pen, you know, pension tax relief? Pension tax relief. It. I, I mean, I am so glad that hasn't been meddled with um, because that that really is the thing that is going to um, help people not be dependent on the state pension in old age because the the impact on, on everything, on returns, on compound growth within your pension over the years from tax relief is tremendous and really it's it's the only way for people at the moment to um, get an instant uplift above inflation on any any money they put 
into a pension. And yes, there's a strong case for reform because obviously basic rate taxpayers only get basic rate relief at 20% and high rate taxpayers um, get higher rate relief. And so is that fair that basic rate taxpayers get less tax relief on their pension than higher rate taxpayers? It's a good question. And there's been suggestions of a, a new 30% middle ground pension tax relief rate for everybody. Um, I think that there are some strong justifications for looking at reform of that. And I think if it was at 30%, there would still be a huge incentive for higher rate taxpayers, albeit not as great as the 40% um, relief that they're currently getting. And um, even more of an incentive for those who really need that extra incentive to save for the long term, who are on lower incomes, who, you know, may be more inclined to you know stick with men- minimum pension contributions because perhaps they can't afford to increase their contributions those people would benefit significantly from that extra tax relief so i hope my fingers are always crossed that if tax relief is ever mentioned it's going to be in a way that um is a positive reform rather than trying to reduce the availability of tax relief on pensions per se because i honestly think the long-term effect of reducing tax relief on private pensions is going to be more people dependent on the state pension, which the government obviously has to fund. So it's not helpful to the government to reduce that um, in the same way that it has with capital gains. I was going to say never say never, um, but you know, with two years away from uh, the next election, then you think pension tax relief is probably safe. Um, at this point in time? I think so. I mean, there will be somebody somewhere in the Treasury busily calculating what the impacts would be if this 30% mid-range tax relief for all was introduced. And I honestly don't know. Um, But, you know, if they're they're taking from the higher rate taxpayers, you know, they're also giving to the basic rate taxpayers um, in extra tax relief. So it might not benefit them, which might be the reason it hasn't happened. So we're going to finish with two two items on pensions. First one is, so due to the freezing of the um, personal allowance, I've seen some reports, Beck, and I think you've um, you've mentioned this in the past, Becky, the state pension may actually surpass the, the personal allowance, um, given that it's going to be frozen until 2028, uh, the uplifts in the state pension each year. Yeah, I mean, depending on inflation, if we, if we continue in a high inflation environment for those years, then Yes, it could, which is completely perverse. The state pension is a benefit. So the idea that you could end up taxing a benefit is an indication of policy failure in my book. So I don't think that could be allowed to happen. Something else would have to change to prevent people being taxed on a benefit. And I, I I would guess that, you know, as the years progress and hopefully the economy improves slightly then the government might look to increase the personal tax allowance further and I mean it it would almost certainly be a reason given for potential um, reform of the state pension triple lock which you know again you know although it's great um, and very important it it could be reformed positively so that it, it doesn't you know so that the increases are smoothed rather than going up significantly in times of high inflation or high wage growth and that might put a dampener on the growth of the state pension before you know the the deadline for the increase in the personal tax allowance but it 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 would be utterly ridiculous if that happened I, i couldn't agree more becky they would have to increase it i mean it'd be interesting to see whether they just increase it separately for people on the state pension and potentially have two personal allowances 
Um, you never know. Thankfully, mm-hmm. I'm not. I'm not. Mm-hmm. Thankfully, I'm not the one who's going to uh, be deciding that. Give them um, ideas. Because um, I don't know where I'll be in 2028, but I'm pretty sure I won't, <laughs> I won't be in government. The other um, pension item to finish on is that um, it was announced in the autumn statement that there'll be a government review into the state pension age um, early next year. So, so Becky, what's what's going on with this? Will we see the retirement age increase earlier than expected? It's, it's due to go up in a couple of years' time, isn't it? Yeah, to 67. And, and this this review is looking at bringing forward the age at which it goes up to 68. So it's, it's on the cards anyway that the state pension age will rise to 68. Um, and off the top of my head, I can't remember when uh, it was meant to be going up to 68, but far enough away that we, we didn't really need to worry about it. But I think it's going to be potentially brought forward significantly, um, particularly because the state pension triple lock has been maintained. And if it is to be maintained, um, as the population ages, the government is going to have to cut the state pension bill somehow. And by delaying the entitlement age by a further year, the government can save a huge amount of money um, and make you know things like the triple lock viable for longer. So, um, it, it, I, I mean, in in the part. So when the state pension was um, introduced, um, there really wasn't very much time between when somebody became entitled to it and when they were likely to die, like four or five years. Now, you know, it's 14 or 15 years. And so it it does make sense from that point of view that the entitlement age should rise. But there's huge inequality in health outcomes and also life expectancy around the country. So that bringing forward of the entitlement age to 68 sooner would negatively impact people in some areas of the country more than others, which is something that will be covered in the review, I'm sure, because that's, you know, one of the biggest issues with changing it frankly is this um inequality and you know alternatives are means testing um the state pension but that would be incredibly difficult you know almost impossible really um and i hate saying that because i like the idea of it in theory but it it would be unworkable for many reasons so the blunt instrument of simply increasing the entitlement age is I think the one that the government's going to go for. And there are so many justifications, I can't see it not happening, to be honest. Um, and for, for you and me, Kyle, I mean, I wouldn't hold your breath for anything younger than 70. Um, sad to say. Yeah, well, I've, I've, you know, I already, I've already got that front, front and set in my mind that, yeah, I think yeah, we will unfortunately work. And, well, not, not necessarily working, but, you know, it might take until 70 to, um, to get the state pension. It might not be in the same present form as it is um, currently today. I actually recently spoke about the uh, state pension with my mum. She, she, she said that when she was my age, that um, she also thought that, um, you know, that she would never get a state pension. Really? Yeah, and she, yeah so she, she thinks it might That's be a sort heartening. of... That's heartening. Yeah, so, so she thinks it might be a sort of generational thing that um, people just, some people just think, you know, I, I mightn't get it. It might be completely different by the time I retire. And it really does highlight the importance of personal pensions, including self invest in personal pensions and take taking control of your own financial future. I think you can take heart from your mum's story though, and I, I definitely have. And the, you know, the social contract is is really important. And that's, you know, you you put in when you're younger into the system and you, you get something out at the end of it. And um it's it's very hard to break that for the government to to break it because 
you know, we all depend on it so much and we, we, we will all depend on the state, pen- most of us will depend on the state pension for the majority of our retirement income. So if they do make changes, it has to be done very gradually because otherwise you break the social contract. And yeah, that, that's certainly not good for the younger generations. I completely agree. And on that note, thank you for listening to this episode of On The Money. If you enjoyed it, please follow the show in your podcast app and tell a friend about it. And if you get a chance, we'd be very grateful if you could leave us a review or a rating in your podcast app as well. You can join the conversation, ask questions and tell us what you want to talk about via Twitter at iiOnTheMoney and email at otm at ii.co.uk. In the meantime, you can find more information and practical pointers on how to get the most out of your investments on the Interactive Investor website at ii.co.uk. See you next week.